For those of you who might not um, be regulars with us, if you're visiting, of course, we are thrilled to have you here with us. Uh, But you may have just heard me say that we've been in Genesis 17 for three weeks now, and you might think, wow, how did it take y'all three weeks to get through one chapter of Genesis? Uh, We are doing a Genesis uh, study, and we are going verse by verse, uh, or at the very least, least section by section through uh, the book of Genesis. And um, it's been a great blessing to us thus far. And we're picking it up in verse 15 of chapter 17 this morning. And again, if you have been here with us over the last few weeks, uh, we've talked pretty extensively about this idea, just the straightforward simplicity of the fact of pondering that the God of all creation, the holy God of all creation, uh, stooped low, if you will, and enter, entered into covenant with sinful man. And last week we took a few moments, I, and I, I tried to be brief last week, I'll be more brief uh, this morning. Even after the fall in Genesis, after, after Adam and Eve ate of the tree, even after um, the flood, even after the Tower of Babel, even after these these big sinful events that we've seen just in these few opening chapters of the book of Genesis, God still, in His mercy and His grace, stooped low and called Abram out of his homeland and said, come to a place, go to a place that I uh, will show you And I will make of you a great nation. You will be the father of a great nation. And in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so, we've looked at these covenant promises that are given to Abraham. But again, please just never, do your best to never become accustomed or just numb to realizing each and every day that if if we claim to be Christians today, then it is only because... God stooped low and decided that He would have a people for His own possession. And we know that ultimately to add to that, because it's not all, it's not all about us. We know that ultimately the way that God purchases or redeems that people for His own possession is through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. So that Christ will have the preeminence. So that Christ will be exalted over all Things. Abram and Sarah, or Abraham and Sarah. Now, I'm not, I'm still messing it up. A few weeks ago, I was rejoicing that I finally don't have. I can finally just call him Abraham and not worry about calling him Abram. And I'm still messing his name up. Abraham and Sarah have been promised a son, Isaac. Up to this point, Isaac has not shown up on the scene. But nevertheless, there's that promise. And as we consider this promise of God, let us remind ourselves that we have talked extensively about God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to accomplish all that He intends. God's faithfulness to keep His Word, to keep His promises. And we know that even though Isaac still has not shown up on the scene as of yet, we know that Isaac will be born. We know the nation of Israel will come. To existence. We know that Christ. The line of the tribe of Judah. Will come. 
And we know that all of that is actually in direct connection to what God said in Genesis 3, that there will be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And the serpent will bruise his heel, but the serpent's head will be crushed. And along and along, not in every single sermon, but in a good, a good chunk of the sermons, I've done my best to draw our attention back to Genesis 1 through 3. Because there's so much of the rest of Scripture that is really just the unfolding and the faithfulness of God to bring to pass what He promised. And the reason that we started this entire Genesis study was that as we talked about it as a church family, we kind of asked, what book of the Bible would you like to study? Where do you want to begin? Three different occasions happened where people said, just Genesis to Revelation, we need to study it all. And so we started in Genesis. But the thing about Genesis is, Genesis is not just the source or the Genesis of Scripture. It is the source of... Of our entire existence. It is the source of all things. It is the basis for the Christian worldview. But it is also the, the setting of the table, if you will, for the rest of Scripture. If we want to understand Genesis to Revelation, then it really helps to understand some of these big pictures and some of these big ideas that get presented to us first in Genesis. Including, even here, we're not covering his birth, but when you consider the promised son, Isaac. When you consider that Abram was, was called and from Abram came the entire nation of Israel. And there was a promised son involved. And you, we think about these promises and we think about the nation of Israel and Jesus Christ coming from that tribe. And all of these are the fulfillments and the keeping of his promises from God the Father. All of these things point to Christ. All of these things point to the Gospel. And we still yet find ourselves just in this 17th chapter of Genesis. And so there's great riches and great knowledge and wisdom to be found. And there's, there's great strength and great benefit to our faith as we consider these things. But let's pick it up in verse 15 of Genesis 17. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Isaac meaning laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you 
at this time next year. The last two or three Sundays, which you're going to chuckle when I say this, but I am aware of this. But the last two or three Sundays in particular have even been like five or six more minutes more long-winded than I typically am. So, I really am going to attempt to be as straightforward and direct with this as possible because these are some of the same themes that we've been talking about for the last two or three weeks. God has a covenant people. God is in full sovereign control, sovereign reign over this entire situation. God has the freedom to to bestow His mercy and grace as He sees fit. And God has full freedom to accomplish His purposes and accomplish His will however He desires to accomplish His purposes and however He desires to accomplish His will. We know that Ishmael has been born. Ishmael not born of Sarah, but born of Hagar through a plan that Abraham and Sarah hatched together. It's a poor plan. Nevertheless, Ishmael was born. We know that God, here again, God actually has plans for Ishmael and will make him a ruler. He will have 12 princes, but we'll come come to that in just a moment. Do not overlook the fact that in verse 15, right out of the gate, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. And now verse 16, I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. She will become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And you say, Caleb, what's the big deal about that? From the get-go, go all the way back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke, let there be light, let there be firmament, let there be animals, let there be birds. God spoke at the fall. We know that there was a curse given. We know that there was repercussions given. Jump all the way now, covering a lot of ground, jump all the way to even the call of Abraham. God says, get up and go to a land that I will show you. I will make you from just looking at Abraham. From the get-go, who has been in full control? Has it been Abraham? Of course not. Has it been Sarah? Of course not. Has it been Pharaoh in Egypt? Of course not. Has it been the Almighty God? Yes. I will make of you a great nation. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. I will give you a son. I will bless you. I will give you a land. Your descendants will have that land. I will bless Sarah. You see this all throughout Scripture. And it, and it is. Things like this are so easy. We just we become accustomed to reading it. And we tell ourselves, yep, that's right. God's in charge. Yep, that's right. God's in control. Yep, God does as He pleases. And again, we start to lose the weight or the gravity of such. A, it, is a, it is a basic bedrock truth of the Christian faith. But just because it is a a basic general truth of the Christian faith does not mean that we should just become accustomed to just hearing it and being unmoved. Or just hearing it and saying, yep, I know that's the way that it is. Again, I cannot stress enough that if we weren't reading and studying these promises to Abram and Sarah right now, if we were not reading and studying the fact that God is a is a 
God of covenant with His people, we would not be here today. We would not exist. If God did not put it in place and put it in motion that from Abraham, Israel would come. And from that nation of Israel, from that bloodline, from that lineage, that Christ would come. If God did not put these things in motion and bring these things to pass, then we would not exist today as those who are of the faith and those who are children of Abraham through faith. I cannot stress that enough. We are not just reading some cold, dead, historical fact like, okay, yeah, God called this guy called Abraham. And from Abraham came Israel. And yeah, the Old Testament. The Old Testament is all about Israel and all about this. And But then when the New Testament comes, that's where we get involved. No. Once more, I will remind all of us that we are reading our own history here. This is our history of how we came into existence, of how we came into being here in Genesis 17. And only a God who has full reign over all creation, only a God who can call into existence things that don't exist can accomplish this. And he says, I will do it. I will bless her. I will give you a son. And even Abram, when he hears this, what does he do? He laughs. How can this be so? Almost as if to say, God, you must be mistaken. Perhaps you've forgotten. I'm nearly a hundred years old. My wife is 90 and she's barren at that. Let Ishmael live before you. He's already been born. Use Ishmael. And God says, no. Now, consider just for a moment, and this never would have happened, but consider just for a moment that God says, okay, I'll use Ishmael. That would have been God contradicting His own word and His own promises. Because what was the promise to Abraham? I will give you and Sarah a son. And Abram here is saying, just use Ishmael. Like I'm almost 100. She's 90. There's no way that's going to happen. Just use Ishmael. When God gives a promise, when God gives His word, He follows through. And He can follow through because He is God. You say, well, Caleb, no duh, He can follow through. Here's what I'm saying. We need to think about this. Abraham wasn't telling a fib. He really is almost a hundred. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but even back then, men who were around a hundred or a little over a hundred, it weren't like they were fathering many children. But let's focus on Sarah. Barren. I don't think that's a word that I really have to give much background to. If a woman is barren, we know what that means. She cannot bear children. So not only is Sarah 90, she's barren. You could say her womb is basically twice dead. In chapter 18, Sarah has her own fit of laughter. She says, the way, a woman, the way of the woman is, has, has left me. Uh, that's not even an option anymore. How's that going to happen? Not only is she barren, but she's past age, even if she wasn't barren. 
twice dead. And God says, no, it will be from her womb that the child comes. Now, I want you to consider that. Just take a moment. Don't just, don't just hear that as like, wow, that's a really cool thing. Oh, that's pretty neat. That's cool. This is still the God that we worship today. This is still the one true God of creation. This is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is the only one that can bring life to the dead. He is the only one that can bring into existence things that don't exist. And from a man who is a hundred years old and his barren wife who is 90, he fulfills his promise. You could, you could say, wow, the only thing I can think of that would even be a little bit crazier than that is if, you know, somehow we heard this story about how like a virgin was going to have a child. Oh, that's right. God does not need. He has never stood in need of man. And He will never stand in need of man. We are completely and wholly dependent upon Him. And God is not limited by our earthly limitations. You say, oh, well, that woman's barren. If it's God's will for that woman to have a child, she's going to have a child. End of discussion. You say, Caleb, why are you stressing this so much? We as believers, we ought to and we should find great strength and confidence and courage when we remind ourselves that this is God. This is the God that we call Father. This is the God whom we call Father who gave His Son to purchase, to redeem us. This is the God whom we call Father who gave His Son to redeem us so that we could be called His own children. And He raises us up, raises us up to new life through His Spirit. And he, he seals us with His Spirit and He sanctifies us through His Word so that we can be prepared to be presented to Him in glory, holy and blameless. This is still the same God. The One who calls into existence Things that don't exist. The one who can keep his word and keep his promises no matter what. Because God knows no limits. God cannot be restrained. No man can stay his hand. No thing can hinder him from accomplishing his purposes. Not even when his own people laugh or doubt or fear. God is still going to accomplish and still bring about what he intends to accomplish. What does that do for us? It ought to strengthen us and bolster our faith. This is the God whom we serve. Please do not read these accounts in Scripture and say, yeah, I've always thought that was really cool. I mean, Sarah couldn't even have children and then she had a kid. Uh, Yeah, think about that. Let that sink in. 
Let it sink in that Abraham even offered. This is now really, you could say, the second time that Abram's like, well, here's this other son that came from Hagar. Are you sure you don't want to use him? God says, no. I have told you what I am going to do. A hundred-year-old man, 90-year-old woman who was barren at that, twice dead, and yet God says, Isaac will be your son. Then we go a little bit further down and God says, Nevertheless, about Ishmael, I have heard you. Verse 20, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and I will make him fruitful and I will multiply him greatly and he will father twelve princes. So, pretty good outlook. The first, the first thing that we learn of Ishmael, that, to put it simply, he's going to be a man of war. He's going to be a man who is always at friction and, and, and in turmoil with those that surround him. Here it says, I will bless him. I'll make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He'll actually father 12 princes. So almost like this kingdom that's being built, right? Ishmael is going to be a pretty great, by worldly standards, a pretty great man. But notice what God says. Verse 21. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So God says, I will bless Ishmael. He'll have 12 princes. I will multiply him. But the covenant is with Isaac. The covenant will be established with him. Do not overlook the fact that God has the freedom to establish His covenant and to apply His covenant promises to whomever He intends. God is not obligated to enter into covenant with anybody. God is not obligated to, to fulfill His promises or to, to, to give His word to anyone. God, as He says to Moses and as Paul says in Romans 9, as he is quoting from that scene, from that scene, God is a God who has mercy on who He has mercy. We are not owed mercy. We are not owed grace. If we were owed these things, it would cease to be mercy. It would cease to be grace. And so speaking of mercy and grace, you say, well, does this mean that Ishmael and all his people are cut off forever after him? Funny you should ask that. Because what was, what, was what was one of those big promises given to Abraham? In you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now, how does that come to pass? Well, that comes to pass through Jesus. Because we know when Jesus dies on the cross, Jesus didn't just come to save ethnic Israel. Right? Amen? Jesus came and He says what? All who believe will be saved. Not just ethnic Israel, but people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Even those who can trace their lineage back to Ishmael. Even those who can trace their lineage back to the 12 princes that Ishmael had. All of those who were at war with God's people all throughout the Old Testament. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, those who once were far off can be brought near. But here in this text, what I want us to see simply here is that God does make a distinction. I will bless Ishmael. He will father 12 princes. I will multiply him. But my covenant I will establish 
with Isaac. And if you hear that, or if you think about that, and you there's something within you that says, I don't know if I really appreciate that. I don't know how I feel about God just saying, well, I'm not establishing my covenant with Him. I'm establishing my covenant over here. That, then I would urge you to just give it some further thought. And can consider the two things that we've said numerous times up to this point. God is God. And He is not obligated to show anyone mercy or to bestow mercy or grace upon anyone. God has His covenant people. So now we look at the flip side of that coin. He does say, I will establish it with Isaac. If you claim the name of Christ today, if you say that you are a person of faith, then by faith you are a seed of Abraham and we're we're children of God. Consider the uniqueness of that. Consider... It's not really a word, but (laughs) how special... That is how great and humbling that ought to be. That God does have a covenant people. And that we, by His grace and mercy, we can actually call ourselves one of His own. That we are one of those covenant children. And we understand that if we were really honest, we would have to say, it had nothing to do with me. It's nothing that I did, nothing that I earned, nothing that I gained with my merit. It's it's because He's gracious and because He's good. He brought me to a place of repentance and faith. But we consider here as we're in Genesis, and so all these things are just beginning. They're just starting to unfold. Think about all of the promises of God that we have yet to uncover in our study of Genesis. All of the promises and guarantees of God that we've yet to talk about as we're going through the book of Genesis. All of the promises of God contained in the Old Testament. All of the promises of God that are ultimately finding their yes in Jesus. Think about all of these promises that are directly connected to the people of God. I mentioned this earlier in Sunday school briefly. But any promise that you find in Scripture... That's for God's people. It's only for God's people. And you say, Caleb, that was a really dumb thing to say. You just repeated yourself. All of the promises for God's people are for God's people. What, what does that even mean? Think about that. If you and I can actually look at the promises of God and say, that's, that's, for, that's for me. That's for us. That's not something to just wink at. That's not something to just say, oh, yep, that's how it works. I go to church, I do the right stuff, I can claim the promises of God. No. If we can legitimately look at the promises of God and say, that's for, that's for me. That's for us. The, the God of all creation has called me His own. And these promises that find their yes in Jesus, Jesus has saved me. And Jesus is interceding at the right hand of the Father for me and for us. That should humble us. That should cause us to rejoice. And probably the... If I had to share just personally in the, in the last five or six years of my life, 
the one big promise of God that I'm just like, that pretty much sums up everything. To me, when I think about it, the promise that God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. And that promise is only true for His people because what does it say? Those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And when, when we look at a promise like that, that should alter and change the entire way that we view our existence. Because if we genuinely believe, I'm a child of God, and He's given us these promises, then that means that every moment of our life, every trial, every tribulation, every heartache, every, every gut punch, every day, every time you felt like the, the wind just got sucked out of your sails and you didn't know how you were going to make it till tomorrow, was for our good. And that one's a hard one to process at times. That one's a very, one, a very hard one to process at times. Nevertheless, if we belong to God, that promise is true for us. And again, that, if we can cling to a promise that says, everything that happens to you in your life, everything that happens in the life of your family, is for your good and it's for His glory. I want you to think about that. Nobody else on the face of the earth can cling to that, can hold to that. Now, yes, I understand that there's many beliefs and different things all over the earth that people think are true. And it might not be until eternity that they find out that they were trusting in something that was not true. But for the believer, we can stand firmly and we can say, if God has said all things work together for good, then I know all things truly work together for good. We serve the God who truly calls into existence things that don't exist. The God who can give a son to a hundred year old man and a twice barren woman. We have no need to doubt or to fear or to second guess. Yes, we're human. Yes, those things happen. But we as believers are the only ones who can look at the promises of God and say yes and amen. These things are true because God has spoken. And we should take great confidence and great joy in that. The last few verses there in Genesis 17, Abram circumcised his entire household as he was told to do, and he did so that very day. Ishmael was circumcised as well. Last week we talked about how circumcision accomplished nothing Spiritually or salvifically. Ishmael was circumcised. However, the covenant was not established with Ishmael. He was still circumcised. But just because he was outwardly circumcised does not mean anything salvifically or spiritually. This was an act of obedience from Abraham to God. And with that, I will repeat the main point or what I think was the main point. I don't really do three or four points, but if I had to pick a main point from last week, that would be it. The sign of circumcision was not circumcise your household so that you will be my covenant people. The sign of circumcision was you are my people. I have chosen you. Here's an outward sign. Do it. So it's already been established. Abraham 
His household chosen by God. God was going to use them. God gave the sign of the circumcision afterwards. So it's not get circumcised, then you're my people. It's you're my people. Here's the sign of circumcision. Okay. So same thing here. Abraham is obeying God and following through and being obedient to what God has instructed. Abraham here isn't trying to earn God's good grace. Like, oh, God gave me an instruction. God gave me an order, so I better do it so I stay in His good graces. No. Abraham is being obedient as an act of faith and trust that, okay, God, You have spoken. And you have said for, for me to circumcise the household. You have said that you will make me the father of a great nation. You have promised me and Sarah our own son, Isaac, not Ishmael, Isaac. And you've instructed us to carry out this sign of, of circumcision. And so I will do it. This is not Abraham trying to get in God's good graces or trying to stay in God's good graces. This is, this is simply put, Abraham says, okay. Yes, sir. You are God. You have given us a covenant. You have said there's a sign of this covenant, an outward sign. We'll be obedient. You say, Caleb, okay, why are you making that point? Your obedience. If you call yourself a Christian, if I call myself a Christian, which I do, if our obedience is, is simply us trying to stay in God's good graces. Or worse yet, if we're trying to earn God's favor in the first place through our obedience, we are gravely missing the mark. And we still don't understand the gospel. Christians are a people that are to be obedient to God because of what has already been accomplished in Christ. The only way that any of us are ever justified before God, the only way that any of us are ever in God's good graces, since I've been using that phrase, is through Jesus Christ. By grace, through faith. So if through faith we come to the place where we say, I'm a child of God. I believe that I'm, I'm His. And that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He paid the price for even my sin. If we have faith in that, if we have faith that Jesus really is Lord, if we have faith that Christ has saved us and we are the children of God, if we genuinely have faith, then when we come to the Word and we say, oh, well, He instructs us to do this, He instructs us to do that, we are to walk in the commandments, we're to walk in the light as He is in the light, we follow the teachings of Jesus, then it becomes, this God who has raised me up to new life, this God, the one true God who should have poured out His wrath upon me, but in His grace has raised me up to new life. He has given me life. He has given me eyes to see. And now I'm beholding His Word and I'm understanding His Word. And He instructs me to do this or to do that. I would, I would be a fool not to obey. And I would be a fool not to obey joyfully. Because He has given me everything. As Paul says in Romans 12, we are to live our lives as a living sacrifice and that's our reasonable service. It's not unreasonable. It's not unreasonable that the God of all creation who gives life would not in turn expect us to live our lives for His glory. 
That's not unreasonable. He is the very reason why we exist at all. Why would we, why would we not expend all of our faculties, all of our energies for His glory? The one who would be well within His rights to consume us in His wrath has granted to us eternal life instead and claimed us as His own. It is quite reasonable that we live our entire lives in service to Him. So do not overlook that. Don't look at this obedience of Abraham and say, okay, well, he circumcised, he circumcised his household, so, so him and God are still, they're still good because Abraham did what he was told. Yes, it's an act of obedience, but understand that the promises and the calling of God came first, and then the obedience came after. The circumcision was in response to what had already been decided and what had already been promised. If you and I believe that God has graciously declared us righteous and has claimed us as His own, are we living in obedience? Or are we foolish enough to think that we can claim the mercy and grace of God for ourselves and claim to be of His household and yet continue to trample under our feet His grace and His mercy by continuing to live how we want to live and continuing to pursue our own earthly desires and earthly pleasures. But the last thing that I will say in an effort to take it back to where we started with this sermon this morning, God told Sarah, I will bless you. I will multiply you. I will do these things. From the get-go, God had a plan for Abraham and Sarah. God had a plan for Ishmael and Hagar as well. God was in full control of that situation. And God has a plan for Isaac and what will come after. And God has had a plan from the beginning. In the beginning, He created the heavens and the earth and He already had a plan. God has never had to switch plans, change His game plan, God did not look upon Adam and Eve and say, Oh, I wish y'all wouldn't have done that. Now I have to use Jesus. It was always the plan of the Father to exalt Christ the Son. The fall had to have happened. And God was in control. The flood had to have happened. And God was in control. The Tower of Babel. God showed His authority. You go through just these 17 chapters of Genesis that we've covered so far, I can guarantee you, you will not find a spot where God's not in control and God is not working out His plan. He told them plainly in Genesis 3, the head of the serpent will be bruised or crushed. And we know, we know that ultimately that points directly to Jesus Christ. This call of Abraham, this promise of Isaac, this promise of a great nation, all of these things are directly linked to the Father glorifying the Son in all things. Because we know that the call of Abraham, the birth of Isaac, the birth of a nation, all of these things, if you, 
If you trace Jesus' life backwards, you will find that it all links back up to Abraham. Each and every last one of these details, you could say, God is being faithful. 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 And you could also say, God will not be hindered. 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 God is God. And He is great and worthy to be praised. I hope that as we've looked at this chapter 17 of Genesis, that that we have been caused to consider what it means to be in covenant with God, that we've gained a little bit deeper of a of a knowledge and understanding of that. We still did not take the plunge into this idea of covenant. Um, but I hope that we've gained just a little bit deeper knowledge and understanding of that, that, that God stooped low and, and, and did choose for Himself a covenant people and that He's giving these promises to Abraham. And in turn, that means that these promises are to us. If we're of the faith today, I pray that our heart would rejoice, that we have been encouraged, that we have been edified. If you're here today and you say, I don't really, I wouldn't have called myself a Christian when I came in here this morning, or I know that I'm apart from God, but in hearing you share these things about Abraham and God's work, I I feel as though these are true testimonies. That we are speaking of the true God of all creation. And I recognize this as truth today. Then repent and believe. And the finished work of Jesus Christ. And be saved. I pray that God will receive the glory in all things. I thank you as always for listening and being attentive. Let's close in a word of prayer.